Welcome to Entrepreneur Decoded, the show where you'll find real conversations with today's most successful entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from unforgettable personal stories to exact strategies they use on a daily basis. Here's your host, Simon Sander. Hey, this is Simon, and thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, this episode is sponsored by OscarHamilton.com. If you have a podcast or you're thinking about starting one, they offer some amazing podcasting services. So head over to OscarHamilton.com to find out more. And now let's get into the show. Today's featured guest is Luke D. Maxwell. Luke, welcome. Hey, Simon. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming in. After suffering from undiagnosed depression, which resulted in surviving a suicide attempt at 16 years old, Luke began sharing his message of hope and has since spoken to tens of thousands across the nation. Now he's building a platform to teach others how to share their voice with the world. Luke, uh, take a minute to fill in some gaps from that intro and tell us a bit more about yourself. Okay, so I'm currently 20 years old. I'm a part-time college student, full-time uh, entrepreneur, business owner, and speaker. I came from a family of seven, uh, so I have six siblings, which always creates an interesting dynamic. And I'm the oldest at home right now, so I think also when having siblings, so especially so many underneath you, I think that really starts that formation of a leader early. And um, so I would say, yeah, just that's something interesting that I've noticed, um, especially in many other people as well. But I'm currently studying uh, communication and psychology in college right now. Um, taking that slow, though. I'm taking it slow. Um, I really want to focus on my business and my speaking. And that's what I'm doing right now. Luke, how many speaking gigs have you done so far? I don't have a fur number, but well over 50 in the past three years. How do you manage school and everything that is going on with your life? Uh, it must be quite crazy. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, last semester, especially the fall of 2016, I did a full load, so five classes. And then plus, I was busy with speaking with different interviews. And that was one of the toughest semesters of my life. And since you have so many siblings, you need to find time to hang out with them as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't have a whole lot of time um, for friends and family, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I'm still living at home, so I get to see them at mealtimes and when I'm home and all that. But yeah, so the main reason, the, way, the main way I keep organized, though, is a $2 Walmart journal that I bought and uh, some $9, um, $9 Amazon pens. And that... That's how I ground myself offline, and so I don't get distracted, and I just plan out, this is what I'm going to do. So when homework assignments come up, immediately the first thing I do is put a task in it on a certain day to start it or to finish it, and that way I'm making sure everything's getting done in time because I've been there a couple of years ago when I was trying to do everything at once, and I was trying five different online tasks and and it didn't work. And I got behind on school. I missed meetings. So, and then so I just said I have to do. I have to 
get this done now. How many years of school do you have left, Luke? <laughs> that's the question. Um, that's the, that's the question. I, I'm uh, currently at a community college, which I highly recommend for any young people listening right now around my age. First of all, it's dirt cheap. Second of all, you get a really good education. I mean, um, our my school in particular, Palomar College, we have an award-winning film um, uh, school. Um, film film department, so that's actually what my brother's in right now, and he does all of my videos. So just because community college, you say the word community college, doesn't mean bad education. Um, in many parts, is better than some other schools. Well, best of luck uh, with the schoolwork and managing all that. I know it can be a hassle sometimes, but I'm sure you're gonna make it work. Luke, you have a really fascinating and unique story, how you got into inspirational and motivational speaking. So could you walk us through that story and how you got started in the first place? So the way I started, I think it was the way many people start on their entrepreneurial journey is that I went through, I went through a struggle, which I'm now helping people with now. And that struggle was clinical depression. So around the age of 12 is when I first began feeling the symptoms, what I now know as clinical depression. And it continued all the way up to 16. I didn't tell anybody. I kept it secret, and as secret as I could. And then at 16, I attempted suicide. And that was when everyone found out. That was when I started to get help. And that's when I realized that I could get help. Because the thing was that I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand what was happening to me. And then so once I found out, I realized that so many other teenagers like me were stuck in that in that life that I was living of feeling miserable, sad, hopeless, feeling unloved, you know, not being able to get out in the of bed in the morning because there's a complete lack of motivation. And when I found out that that was a, that was a medical disease that I was suffering from, something that's curable, once I realized that, I thought I need to tell my peers what's going on. I ha- I have to use my story because especially as I started getting better, as I started healing. I started finding out some of my friends, some of them I've known my entire life, were suffering from this too, and I never knew. So I, the first thing I did, and I was 16 years old. So, I mean, so picture me, 16 years old. I'm a dreamer, right? I, I am. I, I've always been a dreamer, and um, I have to really work to get grounded in reality, which I've gotten much better at. But at 16 years old, I wanted to help everyone in the world. So I thought, oh, I'll make a video of my story. So I put up a video, put it on YouTube, and um, this was four years ago. My brother was 14. He just started filmmaking. We had this dinky, like, $15 camera, and 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 we just did. We, we used everything at our disposal, and right now, I believe it has almost 20,000 views, this video. And then I started blogging on a free uh, blogger site. And that's what I did for about um, a year. Luke, I think you are a perfect example of being practical. You don't need a lot of money to uh, start putting out content. You don't need to buy fancy equipment. You used the talents of your brother and you guys bought a $50 camera to do the recording. And that was the start of it. So you don't need much to get started if you care about a topic. Luke... uh, Tell me, was it scary to put out that video and be vulnerable? 
I, honestly, it wasn't. I think part of it because I was a little naive about what I was getting into. So I think that was definitely part of it. But I mean, and as I learned, I'm a very there's something to understand is I'm a very open and honest person. Like everything, nothing of my of my life is kept secret. And part of that reason is is to show is to be that 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 vision for people so that way they, they can look at it, especially teens who are going through their depression. And they can look at me, and I can show them my life, me, who I am, and then they can see that I'm not holding anything back. I'm not trying to trick them into something. Is that I'm showing them, here's everything I suffered from. Here's everything I did to get better. Here's everything I'm doing now to keep myself emotionally healthy and help you. And that's just part of my personality and that's part of my mission. So as I started developing, as more and more people started contacting me, telling me how my story helped them and now they're getting help um how it saved them from killing themselves i mean just these stories i was getting was unbelievable and that really got me over any fear that i had of putting myself out there i saw all the good it was doing and i was motivated i mean i saw that this is this is what i can do this is what i can do by sharing my story there's no way i'm going to stop Luke, when that miracle happened and you survived the suicide attempt, how did your life change? Tell me about the mindset. Tell me what was going through your head. It was definitely a big change once I realized that I had survived unharmed out of a 60 mile per hour um, crash with no with no seatbelt. It is. I shouldn't and I shouldn't have survived that. Like I, I shouldn't have. But I did, and that was and that was another reason that I felt so called to go on this mission, is because I'm here and I was given a chance that not many other people get, and then so I'm not gonna waste the life that I've been given. Um, but it was definitely it was definitely a big change once I found out that I had survived and that there are there are things there are practical steps I could take to get better. The first thing was I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder, which was kind of obvious to everyone around me um, once they found out. But and then but I was also put on medication. And I started therapy, and then that's really that was that's what started the gradual change. And the the my my tagline, so to speak, is that you're not. I don't want you to try to be perfect today. I want you to be better tomorrow, and that's all that matters. So as long as you're as you're, as long as even if you're a fraction of a percentage better tomorrow, or even next week, or even next year, that's still success because that's what the goal is here: to be better, not to be perfect right now. Luke, uh, I'm so happy that everything has been going well with you, and once again, thank you so much for coming to the show and sharing your story. At this point, Luke. I want to reverse engineer your success, and you've done a lot of speaking gigs. Um, I want you to look back and tell me the story of your first ever speaking gig. <laughs> oh boy, uh, that's that's actually quite a story. There's this um, family conference that I knew about because my parents knew the organizers, and I had spent seven months um, being trained by this other public speaker I came in contact with, who, when he found out my story and what I'm doing, he gave his time. He donated his time to train me to speak. And we're talking about a busy man who is in high demand. And then so that's what I mean, that was something I'll never be I'll never finish being grateful for. I never stop thanking him for. Because I spent seven months training and that brought me from a kid with an idea and a story to a professional public speaker 
who could bring an audience to their feet in an applause. So that first speaking engagement, um, I contacted them and I said the organizers and I said, hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is my story. This is what I want to speak on. Um, could do you think it's a possibility for me to speak at your conference this year? And they told me, no, sorry, we're we're full. You know, I'm so we can't fit you in. Maybe next year. And so I was disappointed. And but then they responded and said, hey, but we have a radio show. And why don't you come on the radio show? We can talk for like 10 minutes and you can and you can tell our, our audience about you. So I thought, okay, great, super excited. It was one of the first um, interviews that I did on the radio. So this was three years ago. Um, I'd done some TV. I'd done some TV and, and radio before then, but so I, was, I got on the radio show and we spoke for over half an hour. And then afterwards, immediately afterwards, we got an email saying, "Hey, I, I want we want we found an open spot for you to speak at a conference, <laughs> right?" So, so, and that's why I always say, like, never turn down an opportunity um, just because you think it won't make a big difference. Um, but so, yeah, it was that it was that radio show, that radio interview that landed me my first conference, and um, I was preparing and I was practicing. And then I spoke for the first time in front of over 300, maybe even 500 teenagers. And the thing is that I was I was sitting in I was sitting in the audience for a little while for like the first couple talks, and uh, no one no one realized that I was one of the speakers. So I was playing a game. I even got up in front of the stage. I was called on to get up on the stage and like play this game. And then so when it was my turn to talk to MC. He was looking around and he said, he's calling the microphone. Um, if Luke Maxwell's here, can he please come to the front? And I walked up to him. I said, Hey, I'm Luke. He said, What? <laughs> You're our speaker? Because I was, I was, a, I was a 17 year old kid. I belonged inside of the audience. So I, yeah. So I stood up. So when he called me up, I stood up, got on the stage, and everyone, What? Wait, he's the speaker? And I gave my talk, and uh, and it was, it was amazing. Just everything about it. It went well. Um, now, three years later, and well over 50 talks, um, I, I personally think it wasn't that polished and wasn't that great, but that's my own perfectionism coming out. And I've heard many people say that it's one of the best talks they've heard. And I was like, that? Really? Have you heard my newest one? Because it's a lot better. <laughs> Luke, I really like the idea that one is better than zero. What I mean by that is accepting proposals to be on other people's podcasts, maybe small TV gigs. Even if there's not too many people listening or paying attention, there might be one or two people that are actually paying attention, which can lead to massive success. Like in your case, Luke, I'm sure not too many people were actually listening to that local radio show, which led you to have that huge speaking gig. So let's go from that first speaking engagement to the next 49, or how many have you done after? What was the growth strategy? How did you get those gigs? So the next actually came out of that conference. So that's what I'm saying is that this one radio show was honestly the the thing that started my entire speaking career. I'm sure I would have got a speaking engagement eventually, but I was a 17 year old kid who nobody knew about. So um, it was just it was from that conference. I also gave a parent talk immediately after that teen talk, 
And then so I spoke to about 300 to 500 parents as well. And then afterwards, I had a booth. I sat out there. I sold some merchandise. And I spoke with a bunch of people who wanted me to come speak to their youth groups, to their high schools. At their, and then – and that's where it started from is, is that I had recording. That's one of the most important things, honestly, for anyone who wants to become a public speaker, which I think anyone listening to this podcast should be interested in because it's a good way to share about your business. It's a good way to help people, and it's a good way to make a side income as well. But um, I had a recording, so that's, that recording I sent, I sent to people um, to show them, hey, this is my talk. I can actually speak. Because I'm not just a 17-year-old kid. I'm a professional public speaker. And so that's where it started. My name started getting out. Um, that conference turned into another conference in Kansas um, the next couple years. And then from that conference, I got more from other conferences. And then the ripples started spreading. And honestly, I would say 95% of my talks are from word of mouth or from people hearing me speak and then telling their school or their youth group or their conference about me. Luke, before this interview, I was going through um, some of your speaking gigs on YouTube, and the talks are pretty serious. How do you not let that get you down, and how do you cope with the emotions you have on stage and afterwards? That's a good question. That's what every. That's what many many people have asked. The thing about me is that I really. That's why I, another reason I really feel called to all this because I feel like. Maybe I'm not perfect. I'm definitely not perfect, but I feel that I have most um, of the skills and temperament necessary for this, for specifically what I'm doing. And I try to, and I try to, whenever I want to do something new, whenever I want to try something new, I always think, "Am I suited for this?" So the thing is that I'm very good about about separating. Um, myself emotionally. So I could talk, and usually after my talks, I'll talk to maybe 20 people who are all going through terrible life experiences. And something I've got, I've got, I've also gotten better at it is being, is empathizing with them, but at the same time, not empathizing too much where it just drags me down and drains me to a point I can't help anybody. So that's something I've kind of developed and something I feel I'm just, na- I'm just naturally suited at as well. And that's another reason why we should always take a stock of ourselves and be self-aware and know what we're suited to. How much do you prepare for every single speaking gig of yours? So lately, um, since I've spoken, I mean, I have my talks almost memorized, at least the outline. So I don't have to do so much preparation. I'll tweak things here and there, um, especially if the people ask for something specific, like they'll say, can you specifically talk about bullying and really hone in on that? Or can you mention this? Or can you not mention this? And then so I'll have to tune my speech accordingly. In the beginning, most all of the prep, um, especially with my speech coach, was writing the speech. And what I have, what I wrote was an outline. So I don't speak um, verbatim. I didn't write out every word, which no one ever should. Um, I have I have a speech outline, and which I practice that I get smooth uh, over time. So now and then now I'll just do little things like sometimes I'll look at the school. I'll look, especially if it's a school, I'll see okay, what are their colors? Like, what's the name of their sports team? Um, what do they call themselves? Do they call themselves by an acronym? Do they have slang for themselves? Um, I'll kind of get to, especially when I get there, I always arrive at least 30 minutes early. I do a mic test. I get used to the stage. Um, I'll fix anything that I need to fix. 
and then um, I'll make sure that um, I'm not congested. I'll make sure to go to the bathroom and all that. Like it's it's funny that little stuff like that makes a really big difference because you do not have to go to the bathroom when you're just starting your speech. So it's you know it's just it's it's little things like that that most people don't think about until they actually get into it and realize, wow, that's actually kind of important. Yeah, the only way to really get better is to put in the work. And I'm sure your first uh, speaking gig wasn't anywhere as good as it is now, Luke. Now I want to talk about the revenue. Since you do a lot of speaking engagements at churches, uh, public schools, where they don't have huge budgets for speakers, how do you deal with that? So that's the big question, and I've and I've always questioned myself. I've never really been good with my pricing. I've always been good at looking at other people's pricing and saying, "Ah, oh, I think you should like do that or do that." I mean, I have my own opinion, um, but when it comes to my own pricing, what I've really tried to do is find the balance between pricing what I'm worth and entry level speakers are worth professional professional entry level speakers. If you have three to five years of experience, you're worth one to $3,000. Above that, then you get into the five, 10. And then of course, if you're, if you're a celebrity, you're charging a hundred grand and more. But I've really tried to find the balance between pricing what I'm worth and pricing what others can afford. So that way I can share my message with as many people as possible. Because right now, like I said, I'm living at home going to community college, my expenses are very minimum. And my goal right now, especially in this year, um, next year I'm really going to ramp things up with different products and all of that. But my goal is to break even. And so far I've broken even for all my expenses that I can see for the year. So right now I'm hovering around um, that entry-level speaking. And of course it depends if it's travel, um, how far away, uh, how many talks do you want me to give, do you want to sell products? And there's all these different things that come into play. That is a real challenge because you don't want to turn down a speaking engagement when you know that there might be few kids in the audience who uh, might be going through stuff that you went through and you might save lives. But at the same time, you can't work for free forever because you need to pay pills as well. Right. And that's, and that's, and that's, that's the thing is that Usually, I haven't really, I haven't really had it happen yet, where someone seriously wanted to book me to speak, but didn't want to pay me. Anyone, everyone who's contacted me, who's serious about me speaking, has known that okay, he's a public speaker, he's a professional. This is what he's worth, or, or have a good knowledge of what speakers are worth. The only time I've turned down talks is when something is not organized, it's rushed, and they're just like, "Can you just come out and help us?" And I'm just like that. I'm sorry because if you remember that, to people that follow me and don't see so much of the entrepreneur, the business side of this, they only see the kid who's trying to help people, and then so they don't quite understand, you know, how how all this works and what I'm forming. So that's the only time I've ever turned down talks. Is that you know, it's not planned. You don't, you don't really have an event. You don't, you're not, it's rushed. You want me to come two weeks from now. Uh, and you don't have any budget. Look, I'm so happy we were able to talk about this and get a good behind the scenes look to your life and the speaking engagements you've done. At this point, uh, I want to understand how does your life look like today and what you do daily to be successful. Let's start with a morning routine. Do you have one? 
Yes, and that's actually something that I'm in the middle of really honing down. Right now, my morning routine is to wake up to the alarm uh, sound of Believer by Imagine Dragons. <laughs> um, if you know the, the song, one, right? It's, yeah. Yeah, it's new ones. I love that. That is my new anthem. It just has so much energy. It gets me up and it gets me excited. In fact, I was just listening to it right before the podcast to really just rile up my energy. Uh, but I start, I wake up with that. I've been moving towards a 7 a.m. wake up. Um, I have, I've been working on it. And that's the thing is that I'm by no means perfect. So I've been really – and that's one thing that I've really been working on is getting to bed around 10 and then waking up at 7 because I don't do well with little sleep. It's just the way my body works is that I need at least nine hours of sleep. So I've really been working on that. Of course, Netflix and YouTube are terrible distractions, and I've been working on that. But so the first thing I do – so the first thing I say before the morning is tr- get to bed on time. And then when I wake up, first thing I do is I go into a short meditation. Um, honestly, it's more of a transition from being asleep to trying to get up. So it's a, it's a between. It's a time for me to think about my day, um, think about what I have to do the day. Um, the night before, I almost always, unless for some reason I get to bed too late. But I'll write down three tasks that I have to do the next day. That way, when I wake up, I can think about those tasks, focus on it. I can think about, okay, how much time does it need? What order am I going to go in? And then also, really just think about what am I struggling with? What, are, what, what, what do I need to work on in myself? And I have a ton of stuff I need to work on. <laughs> um, and I have a ton of challenges in my life. So it's really just having a focus for the day. And in fact, I found that having the focus for the day has been one of the most powerful things for setting up my day and even writing it down. It could be something simple, just like focus or hustle or a thought that could be like, okay, what do I fear losing most? And it could be something like that just gives me the focus for the day. I go straight into a short exercise, getting some cardio, um, core, um, arms and legs. Just in my bedroom, um, I try to eat a good breakfast after that to really get up my energy. And then I have my coffee around 10 a.m., have another cup of coffee around 3, and that's how I keep up my energy through the day. I think it's so important to know yourself. Uh, as you mentioned, you need nine hours of sleep uh, to be productive, and everybody has to realize what's their perfect amount. Uh, <laughs> I was I was kind of laughing on my own. We were talking about meditation. I feel the exact same way. It's kind of like transitioning on with the day or falling back to sleep. Right. <laughs> uh, Luke... Uh, Tell me about the day. What are some habits you pursue day in and day out later during the day? Um, my main habit, I would say, was is um, actually I've been setting a timer for my tasks. So I'll say like um, earlier today I was creating a graphic and I said, okay, this should take me about an hour. So I set a timer because you might have heard about the law. I forget I forget the name of the law, right? Is that is that the task will expand to the amount of time allocated for it. Um, so I try to keep the time as lean as possible without getting too short. And then that way I can say, okay, I have an hour to do this. Let's focus and let's get this done. Because if I say, eh, I have, you know, I only have three tasks for the day. I have like three hours then for each one is that that task will end up taking three hours and I'll end up going on YouTube in between that. I'll answer emails in between. Um, another relating to email, another, ta- another habit I have is 
not answering emails until after I complete my number one task and probably not answering until after lunch. Yes, because I mean, part of it is because I get lots of messages, not only emails, but messages through all of my social media, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram. I get a lot of private messages through there from people asking for help or people just want to say hi or people just wanting to talk to me. So that's why I'm really careful. In fact, I have about a dozen, no, probably way more than a dozen messages right now waiting for me across all of my different channels. But I know myself enough to say I can't do that all day because I'll never be able to help anybody else. Yeah, Parkinson's law. It's an interesting concept. If you give yourself 30 minutes to finish a task, you usually finish that task in 30 minutes, not faster or slower. Luke, you mentioned that you get tons of uh, emails and social media messages. Um, let's say a kid sends you a message that they're going through the same stuff you went through. Maybe it's clinical depression or they're thinking about suicide. How do you approach that? Usually my response is to say, thank you for reaching out to me. I'm sorry that you're suffering with this. Um, I understand. And then the first thing I do is ask them questions. Are you getting help? Are you seeing a therapist? Are you getting medication? Um, and then and then the first thing, I try to get a lay of the land and really saying, okay, what's going on here? Because I can't one, – the one thing I need, to, I need to balance between is I'm not a therapist, so I do my best to use my own experiences and not say you need to do this, you need to do this, but saying I did this and this could help you because I did it and it helped me. So the first thing I do is ask questions, and then the second thing, once those questions are answered, I focus on, okay, what's the first step that we need to take here? Because what this does is it not only gives me a template for me to follow, so that way when I'm answering all of these all of these messages, I'm able to go through, go through, go through, give each person the attention and the, and the good quality content that they need, while at the same time not spending an hour on each message. And then and the second, right, so then after I get a lay of the land, I say, okay, what's the first step we can do here? Is the first step talking to your parents? Is the first step maybe going outside and getting exercise every morning? Because for many people, exercise, consistent exercise can actually be as effective as antidepressants. So I usually, that's the first thing I usually recommend is, okay, are you sleeping? Try to get more sleep. And are you getting enough exercise? And then, of course, Questions. I mean, inevitably, more, more and more questions will come up, um, objections, and I, and I don't mind because that's what I'm here for, right? So I'll never complain. I'll never tell someone, okay, I need to stop talking to you. In fact, I've been talking with some people for over two years, and they've been emailing, you know, on a on a regular s basis, you know, not every single day we're messaging back and forth. But on a, on, a, on a monthly or weekly basis. So that's the thing is that's part of what I'm here for. And that's why I devote um, at least an hour a day. I mean sometimes more, especially after a talk, especially after a media interview. Um, I'll get a lot more messages. And sometimes after – especially after one talk um, in particular, I spend eight hours answering messages because that's just – that's what I, I needed to do and that's what I wanted to do because that's what needed to be done. Luke, I think we found the title for this podcast episode. I think I'm going to call it In the Business of Saving Lives because that's what you do. It's been a pleasure and honor having you in the show, Luke. If you could leave our audience with just one final takeaway, one final thought, what would that be? It would be to look at your experiences in a different light. 
don't look at your experiences as something you need to hide away or something you need to forget or something that was terrible and that needs to just go away and not exist in your present life. I have built a business and I have saved lives by taking my experiences and using them for good. So take your experiences, combine them with different skills, your talents, passions, and align those with the market need and say, I'm going to take this and I'm going to help those people because they were suffering like I was. And I mean, it could be something small. It could be something big on a range of topics, no matter what it is. And honestly, I believe that's the best way to find out what your niche should be, what your business should be, because not only will you be passionate about it, but you'll be good at it too because your skills and your talents align with that. And honestly, I foresee myself doing this for a long, long time and because this is what I love doing and it's doing so much good in the world. Let's end on that note. Luke D. Maxwell, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Simon. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneur Decoded. For killer resources and free content, go to entrepreneurdecoded.com.